The nail in the coffin! Welcome to The Nail in the Coffin. I'm Tom. He is Travis. It's Tuesday night. Trav, how are you, man? Doing good, buddy. How you doing, Tino? I'm all right. I am, uh, I'm doing good. Hey, I was uh, at a cookout on Friday night with uh, a bunch of our friends, and uh, one of them told me, he goes, hey, you should try to get that guy from Cranes on. Kleps, I think his name is. I read his sports biz stuff every week. Well, Brian... You ask and you shall receive. Joining us on the line. <laughs> that's right. We're a full service p- sports podcast here. Nothing but the best for our listeners. Joining us on the line from Cranes Cleveland Business, our old pal, Kevin Kleps. Kev, how are you, man? What's up, guys? Also, right. fellow Press Club of Cleveland award winner. <laughs> yeah. Right. Give credit where it's due. <laughs> that's that's an annual occurrence for uh, for Kev. That's uh, Yeah, old hat for him, I'm sure. New ground for us, but uh, yes, it's uh, good stuff all around. Kevin, it's been a minute since we've had you on, but a lot of interesting sports biz angles right now in Cleveland. First and foremost, we've got the Major League Baseball All-Star Game and all of its uh, related activities coming to town here. Uh, I get the impression from what I've read from you and just everything else I've seen that this is going to be just a little bit bigger than what we saw the last time the All-Star Game was here in 97. Yeah, it's it's a pretty big deal for the area. It it brings in a ton of people from out of town, and it's one of those sure things. With these big events, sometimes you never know, but this is a sure thing. You have people, you have a bunch of people from Major League Baseball. You have two thousand members of the media who cover it. It's equivalent to the two thousand sixteen World Series in terms of media who cover it. So that's big, and a chunk, a, a good chunk of them are from out of town. And then you just have people who come in for the home run derby and the all-star game and just for everything else. And it's just any, if you're looking for impact for a region, you want the people from out of town. And this is one of those events that brings in a, a considerable number. Yeah. I was going to say, I had you been to any of the uh, all-star events in the past? Cause I did the home run derby in 97 and I'm kind of amazed just to see what that has gone from the, the last time it was here. I think that was the last year that they had it as a daytime event on that Monday afternoon. And they actually showed it on TV on tape delay. And uh, it, like the year after, I think was Coors Field. And, you know, obviously that's a home run hitters park. So that was the year they really started blowing it out and, and making it this big deal. And you know, with all the format changes and everything since then, I feel like that that's going to be a big night in and of itself, not just the all-star game. Yeah. I think that to me, as a fan, as just a baseball fan, that's the more interesting night. The all-star game, I, it's just, it is what it is. That you, you see, you might see Lindor for three innings. You might see him hit once or twice. You're going to, the starting pitchers, even the best ones at most will pitch two innings. Most of them are just going to pitch one. It just, it is what it is. It's not, it's not anything special, but the home run derby, I think it's a ton of fun. It just, especially with the way the ball flies out now with some of the, some of these dudes are just freaks. It just, it's incredible. It that is that to me is the best event of of the All Star of of the five days of All Star festivities. I think the all, the Home Run Derby is the best. Yeah, I tend to agree. And I was kind of surprised. I actually got an email from the Indians a few weeks ago that 
some tickets, I guess, had come back available. I'm going to be out of town, so unfortunately couldn't go to it. But it was one of those things I was kind of surprised that um, tickets were still available. Um, did you hear anything in terms of were they having trouble selling it out or did they just get a few extra that they decided to release? What happened there? No, I think they did have a few extra that they decided to release. But it definitely the tickets to both those events did not sell as quickly as I think a lot of people thought they would because the prices were just, they were out of control. It just baseball sets the prices and, and they were basically world series prices for the all-star game and the home run derby. And yeah, they were two fifty for like 20 rows up behind home plate. Yeah. That might work in New York and it might work in DC, but it's a little bit of a harder sell here. It just, it just, I, I get what baseball is doing. They're trying to make a buck, but, and this is one of their marquee events, but it just, 350 360 bucks for like a upper deck seat is just i don't know that i if it's me i wouldn't do it but obviously there's gonna they'll fill the seats and uh it'll be a sold out park both nights but yeah those did not go as quickly as i think uh the indians and and mlb initially anticipated because they they figured by january february they'd offer them the season ticket holders and it'd be gone. But then they ended up, it was supposed to be it was like a caveat where you where if uh, you wanted to get the full strip, you had to become a, you were either, either a full season ticket holder or you were going to buy a package for next year. And then as it went on and the tickets weren't selling like they thought they ended up going down, they ended up offering the all season ticket holders. So it just, it just goes to show you that they did not sell as well as they anticipated. So, you know, we talked about what kind of impact this has on the city. I, I know that uh, a bunch of the bars in the area got uh, their liquor license modified so that they can, I guess, stay open until, what, 4 a.m. around the nights of all this going on. The hotels are sold out. Um, obviously, the economic impact for the city and the region is huge. What does this do for the actual the, the team, the Indians themselves? Because, like, I, I feel like I've heard that this is kind of a – a mixed bag where maybe this helps your season ticket base. But on the other hand, this is a real straight on resources for the club, right? Yeah, this is not a moneymaker at all. The The host team for any of these events, whether you're talking about the Cavs with the NBA all-star game or the Indians with the MLB all-star game, just, I, I was told by a source that the Indians expect to lose about a million bucks for, uh, for, for that period. It, it's just, you, you're turning over your park to major league baseball, baseball's, controlling it's a baseball controlled event it's not an indians event and the way they they split the revenue is just basically the baseball is taking most of it so yeah it's not a money maker for the indians at all it is these events can be a way to buff up your season ticket base and that's the way the indians handled it where they were trying to uh offer these tickets and uh with the caveat that yeah you could get a strip if you signed on as a for a full or half gate or half season package next year and then they they ended up uh i think they ended up offering them for 20 game packages too but yeah that's that's the biggest thing that the host team can get out of it is getting some business as far as season tickets goes but as far as a money maker for the event no they they're the ones who don't make make out and it's you're it's basically they're taking one for the team that's what these host cities or these host teams do in this situation whether it's nba mlb it, 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 same thing will happen with the Browns and the NFL draft. That's not going to be a money maker for them either. It's it's an NFL, it, they're, These are league events. They're not the teams don't get a ton out of it. And that four o'clock closing time bar thing that you just mentioned, Tommy. I feel like they've tried that in the past, and it 
no one really cared. Like, am I missing something there? Does that seem like it's going to be a big thing now this time around? Or? Yeah, I don't. I wonder about that too. I know there's a hundred permits I think in Cuyahoga County to stay open till four, but that number's a little deceiving because like there's places where three they there might be a downtown bar that has three or four permits because of the way their bar is right. structured. Sure. So it might be who knows? It might end up being like in all it might be fifty establishments. But still, I was talking to somebody from Lincoln Lizard, one of the owners, and he said, "Yeah, we applied for the four a.m. thing, but I mean, we're not going to be open till till four unless the demand is there. So right. they, they could all end up still closing at two o'clock if there's if there isn't the demand there, they're not going to do it. That's just sure. something that we're there. They're hoping that it, it's going to be as as good as some people say it will be. But yeah, I wonder about that too because." Sunday night after after a celebrity softball game, I don't know, or a futures game, Monday after a home run derby. I mean, I guess it's possible, but I, I'm not sure I see that either. I was going to say, you got to be a pretty special breed to tie one on at 3.30 in the morning on a Tuesday night after uh, a baseball exhibition game wraps up. But uh, maybe I, I just don't move at that speed anymore. Does, yeah, I was going to say, it's got to be for the out-of-towners. Yeah, yeah, that's so. Maybe that's where that's where you'll get it. Is you have, if you have enough people in from out of town and they're staying. If at you're someone who flew from area. California, you're still on. You know, your your body's yeah. still on Pacific time, and maybe it doesn't feel yeah, that late you to got, you. But I you can't can't think there's that many people. Yep. All right. Well, I I, I want to shift gears here because we got a lot of stuff to cover. Um, you mentioned the NFL draft. That's not something that we have talked about on this show at all since that news uh, broke. Um, we got the announcement back like a month or two ago that the draft is coming in 2021, but we did not get, I felt like, a whole lot of details beyond that in terms of like where in town it's going to be or really any of the other logistics. Uh, has any more information on that come out since then? And if not, is the league given any sort of indication as to like a timeline that we might hear some more? I talked to David Gilbert of the sports commission last week and I asked him about that. And he said that the league could end up changing its mind three or four more times. He talked to, he was talking to people in Nashville, which hosted this past year's draft. And they told it, they told him that the league changed its mind on the actual stage location at least four times. That's just the NFL's no, there's not going to be a decision on this for a while. Gilbert, Gilbert thought that uh, we probably wouldn't know anything until after Vegas hosted the draft in 2020. And even that might've been optimistic. So yeah, we're not going to find out this for a while. We know that they're going to use the lakefront and we know they're going to use first energy stadium for some stuff. They're going to use the malls. They're the Huntington convention center probably is your site for the fan fest and some other stuff. But as far as the actual stage location, that's, that's, uh, I, when I, when the NFL was in town, when the Browns announced and the NFL announced that Cleveland got the draft, someone from the NFL told me that uh, she said that they had a location in mind for the state. She wouldn't tell me where it was, but she also said that they could change their mind. And I think that's why they don't say it is because they don't want to end up uh, announcing it. And then six months later saying, Hey, by the way, we're going here. So yeah, there, I don't think we're going to hear about this one for a while. Do you think First there's a front runner? I feel like, uh, Nautica Pavilion feels like a, a natural fit, kind of. Just sort of the layout of it, how much space it has. Is that big it's got enough? The big parking lot behind it. I feel like it would be. Yeah, I don't think they have that many enough, people though. there, really. Yeah, you don't think it's I big did, enough? I, no, because they want it to be like, if you look at what Nashville had, how incredible that scene was with like, and Philadelphia too, with just like, it was just like a big street party. 
and then the stage. I, I don't know. I wonder if the, to me it would seem like the malls, with, with, if you remember what the parade was like and everything, the cast parade, that would seem like a natural to me. But when they announced it, they made a point of, of mentioning the lakefront. So I don't, I'm wondering what the heck, I don't know, if maybe Burke, if they're going to use the airport because no one else is using the airport. I'm going to use the airport finally. <laughs> yeah. That's, Get that's, the hell out of here. I've heard that speculated, but I, I honestly don't know. I just found it strange that they made a point of mentioning the lakefront when they announced it. They didn't say a specific loc- a specific location for the stage, but they did say that the lakefront would be utilized and they mentioned first energy stadium and they mentioned that area. So it kind of makes me wonder that if they're going to try to do something on the lakefront, which in, in late April seems awful risky. Personally, I think if you want the true Cleveland football experience, when you bring this draft to town, it needs to be in the muni lot among all the buses and the, uh, uh, uh trailers and, um, uh, you know, conversion vans and everything else that people bring in there. I mean, you probably can't do that because then I guess nobody would have anywhere to actually park. But yeah. uh, that would get my vote anyway. Find a way to make that. That work. would be quite the scene. Yeah, I don't. I don't think the NFL is going to go for that. But that would be quite the scene. Come on, Roger Goodell, make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> I got to You know what? I, I got Philly and Nashville set a pretty high bar with what they what they did, and and the Sports Commission does an awesome job with these events. So I'm sure they're. I'm sure they're going to do, they'll do just fine. But I just, I, to me, it's the malls would be the obvious, the Huntington Convention Center, that area would be the obvious choice. But I don't know. Like, like I said, the whole, I found the whole lakefront announcement kind of strange. Well, I guess you could kind of see the lake from, from that big open area there, the, the malls next to the convention center. So, I mean, technically that would work that, I mean, w- that was my first reaction as well as it had to be there. When you think about like the crowd size, like you said, for the end of the stage where, where the Cavs parade ended, I mean, that is like far and away the most logical spot. And I mean, that's going to be yeah. jumping this weekend for the play ball park or whatever they're calling it for uh, that fan fest for the baseball all-stars. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, that seems like it would make a lot of sense. You know, I, I got to say, say what you want about the NFL and Roger Goodell in particular, but they are brilliant and taking what should be these mundane events and turning them into cash cows. You know, I, I was watching, I think it was either a 30 for 30 or maybe like an NFL films documentary on the 84 draft. I think it was whatever that year was that Marino and Elway and all those quarterbacks all came into the league at the same year. And all the footage from that draft, it looked like they were hosting it in like the banquet room at a Marriott somewhere. And you look at like what it was then versus like what we're talking about here. This is insane to me. Oh yeah. They, 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 you can criticize the NFL for a lot and everyone pretty much has, but what they've done with the draft is brilliant. The way they, they put, they took it on the road. They left New York and they brought it to Chicago. They brought it to Philly. They brought it to these cities that are just crazy about football. Nashville seemed like an odd choice, but then when you, when you watch what they did, it was incredible. That was absolutely incredible. They said these numbers can sometimes be inflated, but they said there was 200,000, more than 200,000 people every day. And I think 600,000 total for that, for the three day draft, which is just insane. And I mean, like I said, you can dispute those numbers, but then when you watch it on TV and you see what those crowds are like, I mean, it sure as heck looked like it was well over six figures. So yeah, they've, they've done a really good job with it. And I just, when you think about Cleveland and just the way 
everyone supports the Browns uh, through thick and thin and even during these horrible seasons that they've had. And now that they're the Browns are actually good, it is just going to be – it's going to be insane. I mean, the, the parade was incredible. The Cavs 2016 title was incredible. But if the Browns do anything in the playoffs and if they're coming off a fantastic season, the NFL draft is here, I just – it's going to be absolutely bananas. It's just – it's going to be incredible. I, I still, even with all this, it, it boggles my mind that they can draw that many people down there for that event. Because when you really think about it, you get the commissioner coming up on stage, announcing a name, seeing a player walk across the stage, shake hands, hold up a hat and a jersey, and then everybody stands around for 10 minutes. And you don't even get like Mel Kuyper and his magnificent head of hair breaking down uh, tape for the next uh, 10 minutes in between picks. It's, I, nope. I, I just, like what? What is? I I just can't imagine that is a particularly exciting uh, three hours or so that you're there for the first round or however long it takes. No, that's that's much more of a TV event to me than it would be an in-person event. But I'm sure Browns fans will find a way to turn it into a big party. It's just gonna. And we we talk about impact. That's that is supposed to be the biggest of the of the of the four that Cleveland is bringing in the four major major events in the next five years. That's that by by economic impact projection, projections is the biggest, but part of me wonders if that'll end up being true. Just because I can see it being dominated by locals, and locals isn't what produces economic impact. The outer towners do that, but I, although I guess you could look at Browns backers from all over the country coming in, but that to me seems like an event that where you're going to have a ton of locals, just these crazy Browns fans who just want to just make it a big party. All right. Uh, training camp. We're still a few weeks away from that, but I think you had the story today or, or recently that uh, the Browns are going to be limiting the number of tickets that they're handing out to, you know, kind of keep the crowds down, maybe not quite as big as what they've had in past years. I mean, still going to have probably a couple thousand people there per day. Um, is it safe to say their focus this year is kind of on making it the best experience possible, even if it means sacrificing the number of people they get through the gate every day? Yeah, they won't say this. Uh, they're not going to say this uh, publicly, but I just, the sense I get is if they just feel like if there's 3,500, 4,000 people at training camp, it just, it's, it's not fun for anyone. It just, that place just isn't big enough to hold that. And it just, if you get, it's much more suited to 2,500, 3,000 than it is 3,500, 4,000. That's kind of what they're trying to do. They're prioritizing the fan experience over over uh, allowing as many people as possible to come in, which I totally get. But that's of course, is going to tick off the people who can't get the tickets. And just kind of sticking with our running theme of everything being bigger and more extravagant than it was, uh, you know, maybe a generation ago. You know, back in the day, it was uh, practicing out on the fields at, uh, you know, Lakeland Community College over here in Kirtland. And now, I mean, they've got a lot going on at training camp for fans besides just watching practice, right? Yeah, they've done a great job with uh, with just turning it into more than just like standing around watching uh, guys go through drills. They've, they, they've brought in a bunch of different elements. they they have the stuff for the kids with the 40-yard dashes and uh, different uh, uh, things where they can throw a football around and that kind of stuff. And then they have the, the puppies to get the to probably uh, to warm the hearts of uh, some of the ladies who are there. It just it's it, it's a 
it's a pretty cool thing that they've done with it, and they've done a good job with it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what I'm saying is, is the way they're looking at it is they could pack as many people as they want in there, especially now with Baker and Odell Beckham and uh, Jarvis Landry and Miles Garrett and all these guys. But they just they're trying to limit it just to, so the people who are there have the best uh, the best experience possible. What's the general feedback been like so far? As people that you know maybe you're used to going, all of a sudden can't find tickets or whatever. How's has that been a problem yeah, yet, I'm or, sure that, or what's it been like? I, I saw some stuff on Twitter where people were complaining about it because they, they made oh, it people complaining on Twitter. That never yeah, happens. Exactly. Shocker, shocker. But I know, yeah, I mean, anytime you do something like that where there's only a few thousand available and and you have a demand that's way, way higher now, you're gonna have, you, I mean, you're going to make some people angry. But I mean, for the most part, I think people get it. And so you saw some reactions on Twitter like, oh, my God, look at this. Uh, you, can't, you can't even get a ticket to a training camp practice. Wait, what, what's it going to be like when the season starts, which is true. It's just going to be – it's going to be pretty crazy. Wasn't that long ago that I spent more on a beer at Brown Stadium than I spent on my ticket to get in the door? I have a feeling it'll be a slightly different scene this year. Yeah, I think those days are gone for now, temporarily <laughs> those at least. Those $5 seats that you could get on uh, the secondary market, yeah, that's that's not going to happen anymore. That's a good problem to have, though. I'll live with it. Um <laughs> You had a really interesting story a few weeks ago about the Browns uh, radio deal uh, coming up. I, I think it's after this season. And is it their local TV rights as well? Is it both of them? Yeah, the the preseason rights and the and the radio deal are both coming up in the same year. Pretty good timing for them with everything they got going on. But not that they would have trouble uh, getting suitors regardless. But now the timing is especially good. But yeah. They're that unique radio deal that they they did in 2013 with the fan in ESPN Cleveland has has this season and then it's then it's up. But from people I was talk I, I talked to for the story, it, it's the way the Cleveland radio market is. There there aren't a ton of options. I mean, the Browns can decide to just keep the status quo, which seems to be the most likely option, but. I think there's some people who think that uh, WTM is going to make another run at it because they had the rights before that. And, and they're the, they're probably the the biggest station in town when it comes to that. And, but the thing is that that's a little bit complicated too, because they already have the Indians and the Cavs and those, and those teams don't like to be second fiddle, which when you have the Browns, they're going to be. So that, that, that would complicate a little bit, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I would think that makes more sense for the Browns is like it's not just your rights to your games. It's all the ancillary programming that goes with it because, I mean, they've got that Cleveland Browns daily show that's on, you know, one of those uh, sports stations that I think, you know, had a huge increase in the number of hours that that's on um, every day. And yeah, you got the pregame shows, the postgame shows. There's a lot of other stuff that I feel like got added on that wasn't necessarily part of the deal when they were still with uh, iHeart or what was then uh, Clear Channel, which is, you know, WTAM and MMS and and all those guys. Yeah. And, you know, th- those stations uh, uh, under the uh, iHeart banner, they're not really big on sports outside of airing the, uh, the, the, the games for the Indians and Cavs. So, um, yep. whereas for like the sports stations, the KNR and 92.3, I mean, that's what keeps the lights on for them. So, 
um, you know, they've got a vested interest in making the most of that as well. And it just seems to me that the big surprise to me is that, you know, you could get those two stations, which are theoretically arch rivals working together to both be partners with the team. And if, once you break that barrier, I can't imagine why you'd want to go away from that. Yeah, that it seems to make so much sense for everyone involved, but just keep it the way it is. The Browns especially, just because those stations will give them pretty much anything they want. And it's a very team-friendly deal that they get most of the revenue from the ad sales. They get, they get the time on these stations. I mean, Cleveland Browns Daily is basically a two-hour advertisement for the team. It's on ESPN Cleveland. It's on the Browns website. It's 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 streaming on YouTube, and I mean that that is a big big thing for them. Just that they get all their corporate partners, all their biggest partners are on that show, and that's the the game rights are just. I mean, I don't know. Jim Donovan's the best, and Deacon's great too. And there are people who are going to listen to the games. Uh, on the radio, maybe watch them and then listen on the and listen simultaneously uh, simultaneously on the radio. But the biggest thing about that radio contract is what they did with everything else, all that shoulder programming with the Cleveland Browns daily and all. That. I mean, the pregame shows are. I mean, it's a what a two-hour postgame show and a four-hour pregame show on multiple networks. It, it just what they did with that was just was crazy. It was the first of its kind in the NFL and. It, it, it ends up being more than a thousand hours of annual programming. And like I said, a lot of it is just an advertisement for the team. So the Browns have a lot and the Browns have a lot at stake with just keeping it as is, which to me just makes a lot of sense. What um sort of sidetrack here, you mentioned, you know, all the different radio stations in Cleveland that are offering, you know, kind of the same thing. Are they specifically the two sports stations are they all are they both like surviving it feels to me like it, it's not really a city that should be able to fully support two state two sports stations and in columbus down here one they tried two for a while and it didn't last for very long the other one just went under um a couple months ago obviously they have three pro sports teams up here up there and all they really have down here to talk about is is ohio state but yeah, it, it it's it strikes me surprising that they're both able to to sort of coexist, you know, yeah, and thrive. I, yeah, I wonder that too. I, I don't know. I don't. I obviously don't know their financials. The the fans seems to do pretty well. They they get the ratings. I know if you look at the, there are some websites where you can find local uh, radio ratings, and they do well. the The sport, the morning show with uh, Carmen and Lima does well. The afternoon show with uh, Bull and Fox does well. This, I think the fan is is doing pretty well. KNR, I wonder about it. Just it's pretty. It seems to be pretty much Rizzo or bust on that station. And I mean, and obviously Rizzo has his share of detractors too. It just I don't know. I, I really don't know. I, I wonder how well they do. But I mean, there there's no one there who's going to say that. Yeah, we're uh, we're screwed right now. So yeah, I, I'm not. I, I really don't know. But uh, just it send those seem... detractors. I would say just send those detractors a case of Joby's and I'm sure it'll smooth everything over. <laughs> He's a made man. No guarantees. <laughs> no guarantees, but <laughs> um, you know, the one other aspect with the local rights that I wanted to ask you about is I feel like, you know, the TV landscape in particular is changing and you know, we're seeing a lot more things developing on digital platforms now. 
is that something that you think could end up playing a bigger role in this next round of negotiations with their their TV and radio partners is trying to do more stuff online with them? Yeah, I could I could definitely see that. I mean, if you look what the Browns do with the live streaming on YouTube and on Twitter and they've done a really good job with social and with digital the last couple of years as they I mean, obviously when you have a better product that makes things easier. But they've done a really good job with that kind of stuff. So I wouldn't I could definitely see them being more creative with what they do. I mean, some of that behind the scenes stuff they do that that's kind of NFL films like is really cool and it, I mean, it's basically like what you see on HBO. It, it's really, they do some really, really good stuff. And that, I mean, they could just, if they wanted to, they could keep a lot of it in house and just on their website and social and all that. But I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. And, but they're, they're still, they still want that radio programming. They still want those uh, uh, local TV hours for the uh, preseason rights and everything else. So, and they're going to they you're going to see some of the status quo but I wouldn't I could definitely see them being creative with certain things. All right. We've got time here for a couple of Cavs questions. Um I saw that the Cavs and JR Smith uh, agreed uh they got him to agree to uh, push back that deadline on either uh releasing him or or guaranteeing his contract for next year which you know basically is to try to buy them some more time to try to make a, a trade and, uh, and, you know, dangle that, that contract out there um, that we talked about, I think on here a couple of times with the way free agency has been moving at a breakneck pace around the NBA. I know the Cavs aren't really prominently involved so far, but do you see them actually pulling the trigger on some sort of a deal here? I think we had kind of high hopes that something like that was going to happen on draft night and it just never really materialized. No, I don't have a lot of hopes with that at all. I, I thought if something was going to happen, it would have been on draft night. That would seem to make the most sense. And now it's getting to the point where I wonder if it, he's just going to end up getting released because they, they want to stay below the tax. So the whole idea of that trade chip or that contract being a valuable trade chip is to trade it for someone who's making more money than that 4 or $5 million guarantee that JR has. So to do that, you're going to be adding to payroll, and it seems like they don't they they don't want to be a repeater tax team. They want to stay below the tax, and as it stands now, that's not the case. So if they take if they bring in a a player who makes as much money as Jr. was scheduled to, if it was if that uh, contract was fully guaranteed, which it wasn't, they're going to be above the tax. So I just it's it the longer this goes on, it just it's starting to look like they're just going to end up dumping it. And that's that. As, as if I'm a Cavs fan, I'm that's disappointing to me just because that was supposed to be. Uh, you were led to believe that was some valuable trade chip, and now it's looking like it's not. Yeah, going in, I mean, there was talk like they were confident they could get an extra lottery pick out of that. Yeah, and the uh, the landscape has shifted. You look at all these crazy uh, deals and just how wild uh, free agency's been just in a couple days and the Cavs are just on the sidelines and it just, it, it's been kind of sad actually. It just, it, they're not involved at all. It just, they're just kind of watching everyone else do things. Yeah. I don't know that they're ever going to be drawing in any sort of a level free agents, even when they theoretically get good again, 
but uh, it would be nice to see them attached to literally anyone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's been crickets I mean, chirping so far. Yeah, I mean they have a plan. They're building around the young guys. They have, they have no incentive to win this year. So that, that I mean they want to keep. If if you're them, you want to keep that first round pick. You want to you want to trade it. So you want to be in the top ten again. So and so what they're doing does make some sense, but. Yeah, if you're trying to stay below the tax and uh, you look at all the money they've already taken on, you kind of, you kind of wonder if, if they did too much too soon, like with Henson and Delhi and some of those deal, and Brandon Knight. That Brandon Knight contract was what, 15, 16 million bucks? I wonder if they just did too much too soon and they would have been better off waiting until the summer and just when uh, when the NBA craziness heats up and they could have added somebody that way. It just, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong here on the NBA GM, but if you look at everything they got from those deals, what's the best? What's the best chip they have? They got a first round pick from Milwaukee. I'm trying to think of all the assets they have. They, I mean, they have a ton of second round picks, but I don't think they have in the way of first round picks. I mean, they had three this year, but in the future, what do you? You have a Milwaukee pick, and I'm not sure what else. So, yeah, it just it seems like they should they should have more based on what they've done. Well, you mentioned John Henson and and uh, Adeli. You know those two guys. Then you've also got like Tristan and um, there's a fourth. Oh, uh, uh, Jordan Clarkson. Um, yeah, those are all guys that I think around the trade deadline we could probably expect to see their names prominently involved. I think those are the kind of guys that could kind of help. Um, you know, a contending team. Is there any chance that any of those guys get moved before the season? Because I kind of feel like with a lot of these young guys that the Cavs have brought in through the draft, there's going to be a real logjam um, uh, for minutes. With, you know, with those guys getting blocked. I mean, the Cavs probably want to be seeing uh, you know the, these these rookies playing, and I and I especially when you look at the coaches they've brought in. These are player development focused coaches. I don't think there's a ton of value in taking these first round picks and banishing them off to Canton for half the season. Yeah. Um, yeah. How, how does that shake out? I I would think that, yeah, I would think that they would be trading some of these guys. That's the whole point of having these expiring deals is to use them as assets uh, for something. But and the thing is teams don't want to take on too much money. So it's, it's going to be, I don't know. I'm not sure what their, their path is a very difficult one right now. I mean, you, they don't have that. I mean, Colin Sexton has his share of fans and he's got a share of detractors. I just, I think he could be a pretty good uh, player off the bench. Maybe even a, I don't know if he's going to be like a starting guard on a, on a title contender, but he could at, at worst, he should be a really good player off the bench. It's too soon to know about their, their draft this year. I just, and then they have Kevin Love for, four years and 120 million. And that's just starting. They paid Larry Nance, who I, I, I guess that's when you look at some of the deals that have been made this off season, uh, 11 or 12 million bucks a year for Larry Nance isn't so bad, but it just, their path is, is not an easy one. And it just, like you, you've mentioned, they're not, they're not going to be a destination for free agents. So their whole deal is trades. And I just don't, how much value do these guys have? I, Tristan Thompson, was very valuable in 2016, but now I don't, I don't, I don't know. He's making 15 million and he's, he's a role player. I just, I don't, I don't, I just don't know what their, 
what their way out is other than continuing. They just need to hit home runs in the lottery, which hopefully for their sake they have. All right. Uh, Trav, do you have any uh, Cavs-related questions for Kev? Not really. I guess I'm kind of kind of exhausted with the Cavs. You did mention Kevin Love there, and he seems to be a name that since the moment they traded for him, he comes up in trade rumors all the time. Um, is Where's his value at? Are they considering tra- – like, tell me whatever you can about Kevin Love, I guess. I don't have a specific question about him, but anything you can well, tell me. Always- his career is since he since he came to Cleveland has pretty much been involved. He's been involved in trade rumors since almost since the day he arrived. I That's mean, what I said. I it, you know LeBron comes and goes, title windows open and close, but uh, Kevin Love trade rumors are forever. Yes, there's no question. It just that that deal is just that's it's pretty difficult. I, there might be a contender that I mean. I don't know if the, I doubt the if the Lakers struck out on Kawhi Leonard, maybe I, I don't see this happening, but maybe they would have interest in a guy like him because they want an additional star. But that four years, 120 million for a guy who is injury prone. I mean, I love Kevin Love. He's he's been he's been he's been really good when he's been healthy, and he's just everything he stands for. It just he's a guy that you can't help but really like. But that contract just didn't make sense from the moment they did it. I just, it was like they were trying, they were looking for a feel good moment because LeBron was gone. And here, here's our, here's our remaining all-star. We're going to sign him to a, a four-year deal just to show that uh, we're not going anywhere and we're going to be a contender. And just, uh, it didn't make sense. And then five games or six games into last season, they were pivoting from uh, we're going to contend for the playoffs to, Oh yeah, we're, we're doing what everyone said we should do and we're rebuilding. So, it just uh, that contract is, is is Kevin Love on his own should have value, but with the four year, hundred twenty million dollar deal, at his age with his injury history, it just it's a difficult one to trade. Yeah, and I just keep coming back to the idea that you know even with that contract, or maybe especially because of that contract, he is more valuable in terms of what he can do for taking pressure off the young guys. And being the, you know, I, I sometimes hate this phrase, but the adult in the room, especially in a younger locker room, as you're bringing more rookies in, and I just feel like he has more value to the Cavs playing that role than anything that you're going to get in return for him, especially on that contract. I just some of these trade proposals that I, you know, these trade ideas that I see getting thrown around online, just make my stomach turn because they're horrible. Um, yeah, and it's just you're, you're never going to get proper value for him and if you can you know stay under that that tax line or whatever this year you got a bunch of money coming off the books next year you're not really going to be a free agent player either way for the foreseeable future if ever i just you know i'm not in a real hurry to just unload him for a a bunch of second round picks and it's and i just don't feel like it's it's worth it to do that to your yeah, original I, point, I, though, I, how much pressure is actually on any of these guys? Like you said, he's going to alleviate the pressure from some of the young guys. How, how much pressure is actually on any of them? 
I don't know if pressure is necessarily the right word, but I mean, you you can go back and look at the games this past season. Just look at how much more watchable the Cavs were over the last 20 or 25 games once he started playing again versus the first, you know, two thirds of the season when he was out. I mean, it was not a coincidence, I don't think, um, how much more comfortable Colin Sexton looked and, and his numbers made a dramatic improvement. I think uh, Jetty's numbers looked better towards the end of the year. They, their record was definitely better towards the end of the year. And I feel like if they had had him and they had Tristan playing the whole time, I think their record, they, they were better than a 19-win team if they had those guys playing the whole year. Uh, good yeah, enough to be a playoff be team? Probably having, not. Yeah, there's something to be said for having a product that people actually want to see. And then especially when you're going into a renovated arena where uh, that, was a, that was a controversial project where some people were opposed to it. And you're going to have this, by all accounts, the arena is going to look incredible, and you're going to have you, you want to at least have a team that people want to see. And if Love is healthy and he's playing like he's capable of, yeah, they they they, they I mean they're not going to be a playoff team, but they could at least be fun to watch on occasion, which is a heck of a lot better than watching a 15 win team that has no shot to do anything. But yeah. That's the thing about the NBA is they're just there's no I mean you don't want to be the eighth seed you don't want to be the thirteenth or fourteenth worst team the incentive is to be one of the worst but but now with lottery reform it just that isn't any I and mean, that's far from a guarantee too look at what happened with with this year where the Lakers moved up to four and the and the Knicks were only at three, and the Pelicans moved up to one. It just, it just, it's a crapshoot, and it just the, the Cavs need to, they they really need to get lucky with something here. Yeah, the whole key to that for me for next year is like as long as the Cavs stay in the top ten, because then they keep their first round pick. If they are out of the top ten, that goes over to Atlanta. I think was that yeah. the, the Corver trade that that was tied to. Um, and I don't think that's going to necessarily yeah, that be a, a trade. They, yeah. they have to stay in that top 10. You cannot give Atlanta your pick this year. If you're them, that's just, and then I think after this year transfers do a second round pick. So the, yeah, I don't care about that nearly <laughs> as much about that. So you, no. you want, you, you need to keep that pick this year. Yeah. Speaking of a uh, shiny new Dan Gilbert facilities, when's that phase two of the casino coming? <laughs> I don't yeah. That, I would think we would have heard something, but uh, that's yeah. I don't see that happening. Club's apparently not picking up on my cutting sarcasm here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys. I think that's probably a good place to uh, to call it a night. Uh, Kev, I know you were less than a hundred percent going in, but uh, A plus material from you as always. We really appreciate it. No problem, boys. Enjoy. Sounded it. good, Kevin. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Right. You should always be reading uh, Kevin's work in uh, Crane's Cleveland Business. As for us, make sure you are subscribed on uh, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. We're also on Stitcher and the TuneIn app. You could stream us on waitingfornextyear.com. And if you are subscribed to us on one of those uh, podcast apps, uh, go ahead and leave us a review if you haven't done that already. We always appreciate that. Uh, our thanks once again to Kevin Kleps from Cranes. Uh, that's going to do it for us for this episode. For Travis Uli, I'm Tom Valentino. It's been the nail in the coffin, and we will talk to you again soon.
Pit Pass Moto, sponsored by Moto America, is the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. From candid interviews with the top names in racing to providing insights into the trends and trendsetters driving the motorcycle industry, we have you covered. New episodes are available every Thursday at pitpassmoto.com and on your favorite podcast app. Ride on.